our response rate is 44% of those calls get responded to. So six times out of 10, if you call 311 for a cruelty, neglect, or an aggressive animal, six times out of 10, we don't send anybody. So if you're standing on the roof of a car because there's a very angry pit bull standing below and you're calling 311, there's a 60% chance no one may answer. Eddie, if you're standing on the roof of your car, uh, you called 911. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Homelessness, crime, adding new police officers, and adding more people to respond to urgent calls for animal care services. Those issues and a whole lot more on this episode. With that, it's time to get beyond the bite with San Antonio City Manager Eric Walsh. All right. So at the city council, a session on August 10th, you laid out the proposed uh, city budget to uh, the city council. This year, you started earlier. Was that just to give you a little bit more breathing room to be able to work out some of the kinks of the budget and get more input from council? Well, get more input from council. Um, You know, historically, we have done that council budget work session and setting up priorities as a group. Later on in the summer, and, uh, you know, one of the ideas I had was to do it earlier in the year um, to give the council time and the staff time to incorporate that feedback into our five-year forecast and our trial budget, which is generally in the May-June timeframe. So this year we did it in April, um, and, you know, I can I can foresee us adjusting that permanently it gives it gives the council more space to have conversation. It gives the staff more space to develop and respond, and and then hopefully it gives us um, time to prepare a proposed budget, really in line with the consensus of the council and the entire group. So it, it's worked out well so far. We'll, we'll 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 continue to go through that process. And you you have a long process to go through between planning running things through the calculator, running them through the spreadsheets. Then when you get to the budget workshops, you start getting feedback from council members as to um, what they're seeing on the ground and what may need to be prioritized. And then you uh, come back, present to council. Then you have, uh, this summer, you've had a whole host of uh, town halls to to get public input. And then the council comes back and... It's on September 14th. So, I mean, I, I told the... The budget staff, congratulations, we have completed one lap of the race. And we're getting ready to go through the second lap. And that next lap began on August 14th with town halls and our work sessions that were underway right now, all geared to getting additional feedback from the public, but also giving the council an opportunity to have those little detailed conversations by lines of business here at the city, whether it's public safety or infrastructure or the airport. Um, and and the council will uh, develop a consensus amendment uh, or amendments to the budget and then adopt it on uh, on the 14th. So a lot of work is underway right now um, yeah, because that's the next critical part of what we do. And, and the budget is our not only our financial plan for the next 24 months, but um, it's also our work plan. You did something differently this year, and, and you conducted a survey of citizens as to their priorities. And 
in the document that you presented to the council on August 10th, you sort of laid, laid those out. I think a lot of people, I know several council members were assuming that uh, police and crime would come out on top, but I think homelessness was was a big a big factor this time around. It, it was, and, and this is the first time the city had ever, well, we do budget surveys all the time, but it was the first time we hired an independent company uh, to come in and do a statistically valid survey uh, throughout the city to make sure that we've got all the demographics covered. And the number one issue, uh, when you look at the data, and all that data is available online, uh, the number one issue in each council district except for one of them was homelessness and encampments. And in that district where it wasn't number one, it was number two. So that had been something the council had talked about in April. And so when we presented that back to council in June, I mean, clearly, I mean, if you've been to a neighborhood association meeting anywhere in the city in the last nine months, you knew intuitively that issue but, was going to come up. But it was good to have that because it it's, you know, it, it really informs the work that we have to do to be able to address you know, what issues we have before us going forward. So this is a $3.7 billion budget. It's a 9% increase over last year's budget. I want you to touch on the three components, um, the general fund, the restricted funds and the capital program. But I want to kind of zero in and dial down on the general fund because that's a big one. And I think one thing that has come up in police negotiations in the past is that 60% of the general fund ends up being police and fire. And and I'm not sure how many citizens of San Antonio are fully aware of the, the size of that budget. Granted, the number one role of a municipality is, is public safety and to keep people safe. Um, but the reason I want to drill down on there is because police and crime came up in your survey, you have a goal of, you've stated a goal of, of trying to hire 300 new police officers and you're going to do that in chunks because it's very difficult to do, not only financially, but at one time to be able to find 300 police officers. Where police officers are not exactly a dime a dozen these days everywhere across the country. So you incorporated here $11.9 million, I believe, for 105 new officers? We did. And, and you know, let me, let me talk a little bit about the general fund, your original question. Okay. That, that $1.6 billion, that budget collects all of our general revenue, and it's where we do all of our basic services, police, fire, library, parks, infrastructure. And about 12 or 13 years ago, the city put into one of our financial policy practices is to keep that public safety expense below 66%. And, and at, the, at that time, there was a lot of contention around the escalating cost of public safety because, you know, in fact, the matter is there's a lot of need in a lot of the other areas of what the city does. Public safety is our one of our primary responsibilities as a, as a municipality. Next year's proposed budget has our general fund spending on public safety a little little bit above sixty percent, and that's a that's a good balance. That's a great balance, um, and it allows us to do things like add officers. and And you're right, the proposed budget. You know, we did an analysis earlier in the year. We shared it with the council that right now, on average, the, the average patrol officer is spending 60% of their time responding to calls or on calls and 40% of their time proactively patrolling or engaging the community. 
And so the, the concept we, we proposed to the council that they agreed with was, let's flip it. Let's have an officer on average having 40% of their time on calls and more time to engage the community, more time for visibility, more time for proactive things. And in order to get to that, we're going to need to add 360 over the next three to five years. And so that first allotment that's proposed in the budget is an additional 100 officers that'll all go to patrol. Um, and it's a multi-year commitment. You know, Eddie, you know that um, uh, when we do a proposed budget, we balance it over a two-year process. Right. And so what I presented to the council on, on August 10th is balanced both in 2024, but also in 2025. And so we are setting aside money now and forecasting that to add an additional 65 officers in 2025. And we'll, we'll tweak that this time next year. But that, those financial policies give us the latitude to be able to respond and make kind of heavy multi-year investments and more importantly, lay out the plans so that we can communicate them um, so that the council knows that rarely is it just one year and done, right? It's a, it's a journey. The city is going to continue to grow. We get 2 million 911 calls a year. I'm sure the police chief would love that, that number to go down. But the fact of the matter is, is that as we grow as a, as a, as a, as a, as a city, that demand is always going to be there. And so how are we addressing that? And, you know, I think, there are some there are some shifts of police right now, and that officer is running from call to call to call, back to back to back the entire shift. And so, how do we mitigate some of that from an officer wellness standpoint? And it's a, it's going to take a multi year commitment. Next year, we're proposing to do a hundred of those three hundred and sixty immediately. You know, the other part of 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 what we laid out on August tenth was expanding our capacity at the at the police academy. You know, we have, fortunately, we we do not um, suffer from a lack of applicants. And there's a pretty rigorous process to go through and qualify and be admitted into the police academy. And we don't ever want to be in the position that other cities are in. I mean, we were in, we were in a hole in terms of vacancies about uh, seven, eight years ago. And it takes a long time. And those are some of the struggles that other municipalities are having. So... We're adding some capacity at the academy, some additional instructors. On average, we've graduated 159 officers a year out of the academy to account for growth in positions or retirements. And you're bumping those up in this. And we're budget. bumping them up. And we're our target, our new target is 235 a year. Um, so making sure that the that the machine can can produce the a good, qualified, uh, well trained police cadet who's ready to to serve the community. Talk about that struggle with a, a police on mental health and the constant state of uh, being in response mode from call to call to call. Um, I think recently they were working on a hotspot type approach, and that's been there's a little bit of controversy to that. So where are they now? What did they settle on? So um from the city manager's perspective, there hasn't been any controversy. It's worked really well, <laughs> you know, and, and, and we worked with UTSA and, um, you know, really they took the city and broke the city down into microgrids and identified based on our crime patterns, the day, the hour, when certain violent crime occurs. And so all this, all we've done at the police department 
is take that information and make sure that we've got officers visible at those times. And, you know, as intuitive as it sounds, it's not rocket science. And guess what the results have been? Crime has gone down. We also measure with the help of UTSA, it is, are we just uh, relocating the crime down the street or around the corner? And we haven't seen that. We do it in 60-day increments and continuously adjust. So we're going to continue to do that next year. We're going to move into another phase where we start to look at those microgrids and evaluate what's what, why is the crime happening there? Is it a lack of street lighting? Is it a code compliance issue? Is it these other issues that are contributing? And how do we start to tackle those? Because we're not always going to have a police officer sitting there or at that location. We can't keep them there because they're responding to the calls, but there may be a bigger fix. And so we're getting ready to go into that phase of that. And, you know, it's exciting to see uh, these UTSA professors that we're working with have done similar uh, studies and projects with uh, San Jose and Dallas with um, similar success. And it's a great, you know, it's a benefit to us because they're right here in our backyard and and right up the right up the highway, and uh, we're going to continue that uh, next year. What are current response times right now? Um, and I ask this because when my son Diego went to the University of Texas at Austin and was living on West Campus, there was an incident one evening where shots were fired and calls were made to nine one one, and I think the response was fifty six minutes before a police officer showed up, which as a parent makes you extremely nervous. But uh, how are response times working currently in San Antonio? So emergency calls in San Antonio, our response time at the police department is right about six and a half minutes. And those are the critical calls. The non-critical calls, which uh, unfortunately probably most of us are subject to, we're, you know, we're probably north of 20, 21, uh, 18 minutes. And, and as all those calls come in, our dispatch system prioritizes them. You know, the, uh, although the, uh, a property crime at my house may seem like the most important, important thing to, you. to me, yeah. right? In the scheme of things, if there is uh, a robbery Shots in fired. progress or a, uh, a different type of call uh, down the street, uh, then that's going to have a higher priority. And so it's a constantly changing uh, a dynamic on the streets every day that the officers are mitigating and prioritizing it. And, and to be fair, we, we, we periodically adjust those priorities based on what we're seeing in terms of crime and 911 calls. I want to go to the other uh, components of the budget. One is restricted funds and capital programs. So let's talk about those. They're in the restricted funds, you have the airport fund. And is that where you have some of the money coming from to pay for the new airport expansion. And then granted, some of the money too is coming from the airlines and you're getting federal grants. Right. So the, our restricted funds are uh, kind of our individual businesses that uh, where revenue pays for the expense, like the airport. Every dollar made at the airport, uh, and especially the airport. Stays at the airport. Stays at the airport. And, and it has to under FAA rules. That covers our, and all of our restricted funds are about 1.3, a little over $1.3 billion next year. It doesn't necessarily cover all of our capital. That, that's under the third component of our budget, um, which is scheduled to be almost $800 million next year. 
the uh, the airport's budget. Um, you know, we've got to maintain the runways. We have to operate parking, um, the customer service, the police and fire, uh, keeping terminals clean. Um, and that's where we collect kind of the operating revenue and the operating expense. Um, we do have in the proposed budget the beginning part of that multi-year capital project that uh, I'm sure we'll talk about during the podcast um, and and making sure that we've got money set aside. And, and uh, that capital project will be borne by the users of the airport, whether they are the airlines or whether you park there. All that is encapsulated in that in that uh, in, in that operations over there. So I, w- I want to go back to the pr- the priorities that were identified in the survey, and and one of them was homelessness. Nationally, a lot of um, people look at the homeless population in thirds. One third uh, are dealing with mental health issues. One third um, are dealing with drug and alcohol issues, and the other third, for lack of a better phrase, are unsheltered or economic-based, uh, they missed a couple of payments and they got booted out of their apartment or their car and they, right. they have no place to live. Right. Is that roughly the breakdown of what we see in San Antonio? It is. It is. And, and it's a, um, and, and, and to complicate it more, uh, sometimes those thirds overlap into a mental health uh, and a substance abuse issue. And so it's a, it's a complicated problem and requires sometimes different answers to solve. You know, we laid out a uh, kind of a strategy for next year. You know, it was the number one issue in the budget survey of the citizens. And so uh, this year we are going to clean up 500 encampments. And uh, next year we're setting aside money to clean up 700 encampments. I think the difference is, is that we're going to make the commitment that if you call the city about an encampment, we're going to assess it. We're going to do the outreach to those that are there and try to get them sheltered in uh, areas that are available. And we're going to clean up that encampment within two weeks. And the city's never made that commitment, but it's clear um, it's clear that there's an expectation. You know, we want to do that compassionately. Um, and the outreach piece is really important. You know, Eddie, we are we're in a much different position. Uh, today than we were uh, a year ago because we have places for people to go. And, and we, were, we were in a little bit of a bind and have been in a bind, but because of work and projects that the council has approved previously are coming online. Didn't we have also bond money for the first time to be used for? We did. We did. Housing. Uh, you know, the council has executed on approved $81 million of that 150 that the, that the voters approved. And all of those projects are going to be under construction. Uh, we have um, a, the remaining part of our ARPA dollars. In June, the council agreed uh, to a recommendation we had to lease uh, some low barrier shelter space from now through the uh, September of 2025 in order to allow for the projects they approved here over the last seven or eight months to get underway and built. Um, so that's a good bridge for us. Uh, we have uh, permanent supportive housing uh, facilities that have opened up uh, here in the last couple of months, the Hudson town twin village. Uh, the city's received uh, some federal money here over the last couple of months to help us get um, uh, people rapidly rehoused. And so 
in you know every every community in this country does a point in time count, and our last point in time count was 874 people in San Antonio unsheltered, and so part of our goal in 2024 is to shelter 400 of those individuals. So if we work hard and we've got places to get people help and sheltered, we commit to the cleanup and the encampment. And the third leg of that is the prevention. And you said it a second ago, there are a lot of folks in town who are one week, two week, two weeks away from, from becoming homeless. So, uh, you know, we're proposing to shore up and spend a little bit more money, some of it federal money, some of it our own, to to ensure that those folks that may be, you know, one utility payment away from becoming homeless, that we can help them stay where they're at. Um, and that three-pronged strategy is what we're going to be working hard on next year. Uh, I'll tell you, it'll be, it's the first time that we have locally set a goal of 400. And it's the first time we've made a commitment on the encampment cleanup within two weeks. And um, that we're going to, we're going to, it's, it's obvious that there's uh, some of the new council members when they, when they came in, they heard that was my first conversation with the new council members was look, this is what we keep hearing on the, uh, out in the neighborhoods. And it's the same thing that I'd heard. It is uh, obviously something we need to do a better job of. Another component in your survey that was also brought up by many council members was animal control services. We've had major issues with dogs running loose. We had an elderly gentleman who was mauled to death not too long ago. And the one thing that you pointed out at the council meeting on August 10th was you highlighted the response rate when you call 311 for animal care services. Tell me about that. Yeah, we had completed a strategic plan of ACS in the springtime um, and not because of that effort, but more because of that terrible incident that happened in February. We started looking over the last couple of months about what kind of calls were we getting? The city receives 50,000 critical calls to ACS a year through 311. And a critical call to ACS are cruelty, neglect, or aggressive dogs. And our response rate is 44% of those calls get responded to. So six times out of 10, if you call 311 for a cruelty, neglect, or an aggressive animal, six times out of 10, we don't send anybody. So if you're standing on the roof of a car because there's a very angry pit bull standing below and you're calling 311, there's a 60% chance no one may answer. Eddie, if you're standing on the roof of your car, uh, you call 911. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so that, that's a little bit different. Good I, distinction. But these are, these are calls about aggressive animals uh, that seem to be aggressive towards me as I'm walking down the street or they, they're barking loudly at my, at my kids ride their bike, a, a level below the scenario you just uh, said. But nevertheless, still something that probably needs a response. In most cases, the public expects a response. If somebody goes to a restaurant and calls the health department and says, I saw a bunch of roaches, you know, we're going to send a health inspector. Uh, if you call 911 for fire or police, we send a EMS unit or a fire truck or a police officer. So I was, I was, I was stunned by our response rate. And so a lot of the conversation and, you know, the council's talking about this now. What I laid out to the council was a three-year plan to get to 100%. 
And that means we're going to uh, need to add animal care officers. We don't have, it's not that we don't want to go. It's that that department doesn't have the resources to go. And so uh, we're laying out a three-year plan to incrementally add additional animal care officers to be able to cover 100% of the cruelty, neglect, and aggressive animal calls that we receive. It's clear also, I think, that uh, in the budget survey, uh, you know, I think it's that there are parts of town where roaming, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll call them owned animals because most of them are owned animals. They're not, in most cases, they're not wild strays. They're owned by somebody. Somebody's feeding them. Somebody's giving them water. And, and we need to hold um, um, those owners accountable. That's, that's a secondary issue. The primary issue is making sure that we have somebody that goes and responds and works to mitigate what that issue is, especially cruelty, neglect, and aggressive calls. So, you know, I think, I think the public expects it. And from my standpoint as city manager, uh, we shouldn't be having a 44% response on anything we do that people are calling. You talked a moment ago um, about the three new uh, council members. Just curious, do you have a favorite? <laughs> I will. I, I won't make you answer that question. They're all my favorites. But I do. Um, I I do want to ask: Is there anything you see in this crop of Mark White, Marina Alderete Gavito, Sukur coming on board at a time that I mean, you've been around in city management for a long time here in San Antonio. Is there anything different that you see in them that 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 is helpful to the council conversation? On issues, or that's different from previous waves of new council members. You know, Eddie, it's it's always different. I, I think what I see, and, and you, you know, I see it at the at the council meetings. Um, I'm excited about the group. Uh, the group, what what a council person does, and it's a lot of extent uh, what what I do. None of this is an individual sport. Right. right. This is not golf or track. It's a team effort. It's a team effort, and you know, I think I think the additions to the team. They're on the council dais, are going to uh, improve the entire team effort, and you know. But it's always it always changes. I mean, because personalities and styles and priorities, part of that is making sure that I'm adjusting uh, to make sure that that new council members feel like they are ready to to run that race as as well as a veteran council member. Because you know, on any given day or any given Thursday, they're Council is dealing with a policy issue, a budget issue, a contract issue, a zoning issue. Um, there's a lot of things they do, and it's a heavy workload, and we want to make sure they're prepared to to take it all on. So recently the mayor came out with his committee assignments, and there are fewer committees. Is is that working well? Uh, we'll see. A lot of that is rolling out this month. So the committees haven't, haven't didn't really meet over the summer. He made, the mayor made some adjustments. The mayor makes adjustments every two years, and historically— Every mayor has made adjustments uh, at the at the beginning of a of a term, um, but I think it's organized uh, in a sense that you've got uh, the chairpersons of the major committees all also on the governance committee. So they're the more senior; they tend to be more senior. Yeah, and so I think I think that's that'll be an interesting dynamic. There'll be a lot of work at the committee level, um, and uh, we'll we'll see. Really, that committee work will begin happening in September. As we get as we get done uh, with the budget, obviously there's been a lot of conversation in town about a potential sports entertainment district that could include 
a new arena for the Spurs, a new ballpark for the San Antonio Missions in an area that would predominantly be focused downtown, but would also include those two facilities adjacent to each other or near each other that would be surrounded by restaurant and bars. So we we know that's a possibility. My question to you, is it a probability? (laughs) Well, I can tell you right now, uh, it's going to require a lot of public conversation. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you that where where I think the city's at, and, and we started this last fall because we had just made uh, an investment in the Alamo Dome to prepare for some commitments we made for the 2025 Men's Final Four. What do we do with the Dome? The Dome just celebrated its 30-year anniversary. Uh, anniversary. Uh, it has had a huge economic impact on this community. Um, it was uh, paid for over a five-year period uh, with sale with a sales tax proceed. It's there was no long-term debt, um, and 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 over the last year, we've seen more events in that building than ever before. We're busting at the seams. Number two, last fall we started watching what's happening in Austin and Dallas with their convention centers. Austin announces they're building, they're tearing down their convention center and building new. Dallas is going to tear down K Billy, and and they're, I mean, they're they're a little bit landlocked they, downtown Austin. They are landlocked, and I think it's taken them some time to figure out how to deal with that. So you know, we opened up the the new part of the convention center in 2016, and so what do we need to do to make sure that we are planning? Uh, for the long term for that building, because uh, we want to stay competitive. The part of that planning, and it's it's like a 747 going down the runway, It's you need a little bit of more room. Mm-hmm. And, and we need to have some room to figure out not only a plan, but more importantly, how you finance it. So those are two of my priorities uh, and the city's priorities. And we've talked, I mentioned them to the council last year. The third part of that priority is Hemisphere Park which, you know, there's been a long-term plan to finish out the development of that park. We have been doing it in five-year increments with our municipal bond program. Eddie, you and I are going to be a lot older by the time we finish it if we keep doing it in five-year <laughs> increments. Yes. So and so all those are right next to each other. You know, I think that there's a lot of possibility to, to uh, look outside those buildings because that is a important part of downtown that attracts a lot of people. There's a lot of, uh, if anybody's gone to a concert at the Alamo Dome, there's a lot more we need to do in terms of uh, transportation and roadway and getting people in and out efficiently. And so uh, undoubtedly, that's going to be a a large conversation. You know, there's a lot of potential, and and I think there's going to be a lot of conversation. I think there should be a lot of conversation publicly about anything else, but those are going to be my priorities uh, uh, they are my priorities right now. And we've started looking at those and how do we, what do we envision in the future? Because we want to be competitive for an expanded college football playoff system. You know, maybe we, maybe we put in a bid to be part of that, that playoff system and have the Alamo bowl at the end of December, but it's got to, that building is going to need to be refreshed and, and how do we do it? How do we, how do we finance it? Um, and what does it look like? Um, structurally, the dome is, is great. In the case of the ballpark, the missions, they're being regulated by Major League Baseball. Minor League Ball is now run by Major League Baseball. And the current Nelson Wolf Stadium, Nelson Wolf uh, Ballpark, 
does not fit their Major League Baseball standards for a facility. So something has to be done. I am confident that they're working on a plan. Yeah. And at some point they'll 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 share that publicly or with the city and and you know we look well, forward to this. But let me ask you, is it their plan or is it the city's plan? Because I imagine they can't really start that approach until they have a conversation with you guys to figure out like where it might go and how it would be paid for. I'm assuming that's a long going conversation. Well, I I think they need to finalize their plan. I I haven't seen anything and and, and if when we do, that's going to be a public conversation with the council. But as it stands right now, I know there's an issue. Right now, in the, in the proposed fiscal year 24 budget, we've got a little over $6 million to make improvements to Nelson Wolf Baseball Stadium. That's the only thing I know for certain. I know they're working on a plan, and at some point, uh, if and when they come and share it with the city, then you know we'll take it to the council and analyze it and figure out what it looks like. Depending on and and that's where the that's where the public conversation is going to have to is going to have to happen out in the open with the council. In January of 2022, when the city council approved a new 3.85 percent rate increase for CPS Energy, they said they would need to be CPS Energy said they would need to come back again in a couple of years for another rate increase. In that time, they've announced a massive new generation plan a plan for the future. They're dealing with uh, infrastructure needs, not only to current facilities, but also to their uh, software uh, system that Rudy Garza likes to say is the equivalent of, of, of running on Windows 2000. And they're also, like the city, having to deal with growth and um, and other pressures, including supply chain issues. So how do you feel about the progress that CPS Energy has made since they went before city council a year and a half ago? You know, I think, uh, I think they've done a really great job. I mean, they've kept the council updated um, and, uh, and I suspect there'll be more conversation later on in the year. I mean, I, I think they're, they're dealing with real issues um, of growth and, and maintaining what they have. And just like I said a, a little while ago, it's never one year and you're done at the city. I mean, it's laying out kind of a multi-year plan, the financial structure to pay for that, and then and then more importantly, then executing upon it. And I think Rudy's starting to lay that out um, and has been laying that out since he's been there. And uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of conversations with council towards the, towards the latter part of this year, early 2024. You know, uh, Rudy and I talk every two weeks. Um, we talk, that's scheduled, we talk practically weekly. There are things that he's doing that impact me and vice versa. And uh, and I'll even throw uh, Robert Puente in there uh, with that. We, it, the city, CPS, and SAWS probably working closer together now than ever before. And, you know, part of it, I think, Eddie, is that the, to the public, whether it's whether the, the white trucks as CPS, city, or SAWS, to the public, it's all the city. And they don't really right. they don't really care. They just want X done, and so uh, we're, we've we've been working really well together with uh, with uh, between the three of us. So the mayor appointed a, a task force, an airport task force, a while back. Um, I think John Dixon said it was like five or six years ago, and when he started, um, 
asking people to to give of their time. He had no idea it was going <laughs> to take that long. He said, I don't know if they're still my friends or not. But uh, a lot of the d- major decisions have been uh, taken care of regarding the airport expansion. And now it's a matter of executing uh, contracts. Tell us about the timeline, about how the airport and the, those that process goes. We're actively in design for the new terminal facility, which will, you know, and I like to say it'll be the new front door to the to the airport and all the enabling projects. So uh, we'll we'll likely uh, have council select the uh, construction company by the end of this year, um, and then uh, as we wrap up our federal federally required environmentals in the springtime, I start making groundbreakings uh, this time next year. Uh, with the schedule to open up the facility in the second quarter of 2028. That's our timeline right now. The other thing that's happening right now that's critical is we're negotiating the airline leases that are required. And there are, you know, every airport has airline leases. That's a critical component. The airlines are a major stakeholder of a project like this. So making sure we have airline input is, uh, is critical because they're part of the the uh, financial structure, um, and that's moving on in parallel. Uh, and we have a, uh, in the interim, we have a groundbreaking here in about 60 days for a ground load facility, which will add an additional five gates. Um, you know, we have surpassed our 2019 employments. I mean, if you, if you, if you just kind of forget 2020, 2021 in terms of numbers and at passenger activity, and you compare to the, the uh, 2019, uh, we're estimating almost 11 million passengers through uh, San Antonio International this year. And so uh, we have 40 nonstops compared to uh, 36 in 2019. So we've grown. There's still competition. There's a very concerted effort with a lot of the business community here in town and uh, Visit San Antonio and the city. Get to, more nonstops. To get lines. more nonstops, uh, both domestically and internationally. And all those things are a foot race to make sure that we are building the facility in in a timely manner to be able to continue to take on more and more flights and passengers. The the airport is a five billion dollar a year impact to our local economy, and so and and not just ours, the regions. And uh, you know one one phenomena that uh, that uh, if, if if anybody's flown out over the last six months. You know, it used to be you could show up, you know, not that far in advance of your flight. <laughs> yeah. And it's and, and what we're seeing is is that more people are driving from Eagle Pass, Del Rio, Corpus, because the airlines have reduced regional service. They're driving up here and they're parking and they're flying out of San Antonio International. Well, that means that you and I, Eddie, need to probably go to the airport a little bit earlier. Just you know, give yourself another fifteen minutes to find that parking spot and we're so we're going to be dealing with some interim solutions to expand parking. The The larger plan uh, has an additional parking garage built into it and a ground transportation center for all the taxi uh, cabs and the Ubers and the Lyfts and the Via buses. Kind of take them off the roadway in front of the terminal, which will give everybody else some, some additional capacity. I It is the most important project I have as city manager, hands down. And uh, uh, I spend a lot of time at the airport. Um, it is too important um, and is much needed, and uh, and and uh, and we got to get it done. 
And according to the task force chairman, John Dixon, you need to get it done correctly. Yes. Because John described the current airport as uh, having Soviet-style architecture. And he wants to make darn sure if we're going to spend all this money, there's no city in this state that has more culture than San Antonio. And he wants to make sure that will our new airport reflect our culture? Well, it has to. And I heard early on um, in this process, somebody talk about uh, the visitors of San Antonio and their first impressions, and which is, which is, don't get me wrong, is critical to San Antonio and our economy. But you know, one of the things that I've been saying is that it, it's critical for the people that live here, right? It, there are a lot of people in this region and in this city, and, and building that airport for people that live here, yes, it should be reflective of our culture. You should, you should land and walk out and, and, and see a building that's reflective of San Antonio. And that's why the, the, the uh, design uh, and the renderings we've released – are really, really reflective of those things. We'll need to execute them. The last thing, and I'll disagree with with John, it does not look like uh, Soviet <laughs> architecture. It does look like uh, 1980 uh, and walking back into high school in some aspects, but it does not look like the Soviet Union. All right. Well, we'll get uh, we'll get John back on the podcast to to debate you on that. So uh, recently, you attended a press conference at La Hacienda de los Barrios with CPS Energy, and uh, that restaurant is owned by Louis Barrios and his sister, Diana Barrios Trevino. They installed a couple of carports with solar power on top, and it seems like an amazing, uh, amazingly good uh, investment on their part, but also it seems that CPS wins with that kind of operation, and then the ratepayers win. So my question to you is, is the city looking at doing things like that on more city property? Yeah, we are. We actually, we're going through a solicitation right now to see if we can activate uh, some of our parking lots for similar structures. And, and I went out there to the, uh, the grand opening or the, the other grand opening really to see it firsthand because we've been talking about it and I wanted to see it myself. Um, you know, there's plenty of parking lots where we could look to do that. We'll probably be bringing that recommendation to council uh, in the September-October timeframe. The mayor's talked about uh, either later in the fall or in January putting together a charter review commission. Tell me about the process that you have to go through. We just went through redistricting. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, redistricting is done uh, carefully so as to not to uh, throw the, um, uh, the Voting Rights Act on its ear. So that type of analysis is going to be needed, I would, I would expect. So we'll need to make sure that we have experts on hand to help the Charter Commission go through that conversation. And I would expect probably the council, the mayor, to have a conversation with the council at some point uh, in September, early October, about you know, what are the charges that they, want to, that they want to ask the committee to look at. I know one that the business community wants to see, and that is uh, the resolution to the limitations on your tenure and your compensation package. I think people once in the the business communities made it very clear, and I know this is probably an awkward conversation to have with you, but I, I know that there is a desire to, uh, to resolve this issue, not just for you, um, but for anyone that follows you uh, so that they're not uh, handcuffed in this process. 
You're right. It is an awkward <laughs> question. Okay. Move, moving right along. Um, lastly, I guess we'll we'll end with this. I was there on the sidelines with you watching your son run out onto the football field in an Antonian Apache uniform. <laughs> I just want you to state on the record that you do have enough room in your heart to support not only Central Catholic that you are a proud graduate of, but for the fine Antonian Apaches. The fine Antonian Apaches, my uh, my blood uh, runs blue, <laughs> but uh, uh, Antonian was a great school. But and- your heart runs red. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so there's a, and my wife went to St. Gerard, so we're kind of a we're kind of a mixed bag. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. Yeah. Eric Walsh, thank you for your time and I hope you come back. All right. Thanks for inviting me. My thanks to San Antonio City Manager Eric Walsh. Join us for our next episode where we sit down with CPS Energy CEO Rudy Garza on the financial improvements the utility has made what is in the future of power generation and distribution, and why CPS Energy needs another rate increase. This podcast is a production of Aldrete Strategic Partners, LLC, and is edited by Nick Chamberlain of Every Word Media. If you would like to provide feedback on this or any other episode, or have an idea for a future episode topic, drop us an email at beyondthebyteea at gmail.com. That's beyondthebyteea at gmail.com. Until next time, we thank you for listening.